when I look at that video clip, I can relate to Tom Cruise. Now, it's really not because I think I look like Tom Cruise. Um, maybe the hairstyles are the first hint of that. Um, but I do think about that clip in the context of trying to bring value in relationships and roles I invest in. I'd like to think that for my relationship with my wife, our sons, our daughters-in-law, our friends, at work, it's with me or without me. That I add value in those situations. I want to be, to use, that film is night and day, and I like to be a knight in shining armor, bringing excitement, energy, and intrigue to life, to add value. If you do life with me, or you do life without me. For a number of years, I felt like I couldn't add any value in the context of Star having problems with the computer because she would go first to two of our boys. Never mind that they both worked in or work in the computer industry. Our middle son, Stephen, is a top flight graphic and web designer. So it made sense that Star would go to Stephen or to Michael when she needed help with computer problems. But nonetheless, it bugged me. Because it's like, I ought to be doing that. I want her to believe that I can add value in that. Even though it takes me 10 times longer than it takes the boys, it's like, with me or without me? Now, when I first read this to Star, she reacted in precisely the wrong way. She felt really, really bad and said, do you really think that? That I don't value you? That I don't think that you add value to my life? I said, no, 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 no. You, you, you don't understand what I'm saying. This is my problem. It's me wanting you to give me the affirmation that I add value to you. you. See, so I'm messed up in this. Not you, I'm the one that's messed up. My attitude and perspective in those kinds of situations are wrong. And the problem is I have too many moments like that because I want my wife, my sons, my friends to believe life with me or without me. And it has less to do with do I really add value as you affirm me that I do. Now let's be honest, how many of you wrestle with that at times? That you want to believe that you add value and it's to affirm yourself rather than simply for merely adding the value. Well, this causes some interesting challenges when we look at our passage for today. So I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Open up your Bibles or one of the Pew Bibles or follow along on the screens. Acts 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8, and then verses 17 and 18. Oh, and yeah, I suppose if some of you have your smartphones and that's how you're looking up the passage, that's okay too. 
Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? And then dropping down and reading verses 17 and 18. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Will you bow your heads in prayer? Father, we invite your Holy Spirit into this place. We are humbled that that is our privilege and opportunity as your children. And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our God, our Lord and Redeemer. Amen. I'm going to identify three things that I think come out of this passage about the Holy Spirit, and then we'll focus on one of them. Let me give you those three things. That I'll, the two, first two I'll touch on briefly. Who is the Holy Spirit? The power of the Holy Spirit, and then the role the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. So first, who is the Holy Spirit? I'd like to talk about that in this way. For many years growing up, I heard about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in precisely that way. God being the introduction to each of the three persons in the Trinity. Unfortunately, I think today we tend not to do that. We just say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I wonder if we miss out on something. The tendency is when we think Father to put that at the top of the hierarchy. So it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we tend to think of the Holy Spirit as the lesser of the three. I want to challenge us that that is precisely not what the reality is of the Trinity. It is God in all of his character, in all of his essence, who is the Father. It is God in all of his power and all of his essence who is his Son, Jesus Christ. And it is God in all of his essence and all of his power who is the Holy Spirit. And that is who God sent, the Holy Spirit, to be in us. And we are introduced to that in this passage. Second, what is the power of the Holy Spirit? This passage describes an amazing scene. We see in verse 2, suddenly a sound like a, the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house. It was evident to everybody that something had changed dramatically. 
the power of the Holy Spirit had entered into that place. Secondly, in verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. This had to be one of those situations where there was great fear. I'm surprised, actually, that there wasn't a voice that said, fear not, because I am sure they were overwhelmed with fear at seeing these tongues separate and rest on each of them individually. An amazing scene. And then third, in verse four, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And as we see, those tongues were the languages of every language in the known world at that time. Anybody who observed what was going on heard them speak in their language. The power of the Holy Spirit in that place was awesome. The third point, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives today? And this is where I'd like to focus for the balance of our time together this morning. And I'm going to talk about three areas of the power of the Holy Spirit. First, the power to do God's purpose and will. Second, the power to be God's witnesses. And third, the power to do great things. And I'm going to suggest that we look at some other verses, and those are going to be on the screen. First, the power to do God's will and purpose. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, and then adding to that, chapter 4, verse 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but how much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. And then 4.13 says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. I want to suggest that that is God in the person of the Holy Spirit because it is the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Each and every one of us who claims to be a Christ follower received the gift of the Holy Spirit at the moment we claimed Jesus Christ. Secondly, the power to be God's witnesses, Acts 1.8 but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Do you see the linkage there? But you will receive the power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. A direct connect to the power of the Holy Spirit in you and me to being witnesses. And then third, power to do great things, from John 14, 11 through 14. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. 
and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. This Holy Spirit gives us power to be the sons and daughters of the Almighty. While I want to be able to say to everybody in my sphere of influence, with me or without me, the Holy Spirit comes along and says, with me or without me. With me or without me. That is the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the power of me embracing the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells me. Francis Chan, in his introduction to David Platt's book, Follow Me, makes the following statement. When people say they don't feel close to Jesus, I ask them, are you making disciples? Are you, are we, am I truly making disciples? The Holy Spirit indwells us to give us power far beyond our own ability for the purpose of making disciples. If I go back to Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Again, a direct connect between the power of the Holy Spirit and being witnesses. One thing that I have trouble with in our current terminology as Christians is separation of evangelism and discipleship. I don't see anywhere in scripture where that distinction is really made. Discipleship includes evangelism. Scripture says in Matthew, go and make disciples. That's not saying go only to those who are always already Christ followers and disciple them. That is to go to all nations and make disciples of all peoples, of all tongues, nations, and tribes. Making disciples is part of the evangelistic journey. So when scripture says we are to go and make disciples, that includes evangelism. Do we make disciples? It is our mission statement. The way I like to phrase our mission statement is we are to be disciples who make disciples. I have to have the capacity, the maturity, the relationship with Jesus Christ myself such that I can encourage others to do likewise, to grow in him. Do I do that effectively? Are you, are we truly making disciples? The Holy Spirit indwells us to give us power far beyond our own ability for the purpose of making disciples. Do you really believe that? Maybe the better question is, if you believe it, do you live it? Are you intentional about making disciples? I would suggest that each of us as parents have that responsibility to be making disciples of our children. I would want to suggest that maybe first, before that, as husbands and wives, we have the responsibility to be discipling one another in our relationship as husbands and wives. With my friends, I have that responsibility. Do I think about things like my job in a spiritual way? Is it possible that my job, that your job, is merely a tool 
a place that God has placed you for the primary purpose of making disciples. Oh, sure, God understands that we need to make money. God understands that there's lots of things that we need to do and we need to pay for. But is it possible that our jobs or even the relationships that we have outside of this place, as well as in this place, are primarily for the purpose of having the opportunity to earn the right to share the faith that is within us. The power of the Holy Spirit given for the purpose of making disciples. The Bible says you and I were given the presence of the Holy Spirit to give us access to the power of the Most High. Do you understand? Do you believe that you have the power of the Most High living in you at this moment? Do you live in that power? I was given a prayer many years ago, and it's a prayer that I try to pray frequently, but don't pray anywhere near frequently enough. And it goes something like this. Heavenly Father, may there be less of me and more of you today. Please, Fill me with your spirit. In preparing for this message, I've decided that's not even really enough. The real question is, do I desire, do I crave to live out the second half of Philippians 1-2? Excuse me, Philippians 12. What is that, you say? To die is gain. Do I believe that? Do we believe that? That for me to die is gain. Less of me and more of the Holy Spirit in me today. Is that my desire? Am I willing to empty myself? Am I willing to die to self and be filled with the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit can work his will and plan? In me and through me. Do we understand that the Holy Spirit is daily asking us the question, do you want to do life with me or do you want to do life without me? So what does this really look like? I want to share a couple of examples from our life experience, and I don't do so to give you any sense that I think I've arrived in this area. I simply have not. I struggle with yielding myself to the Holy Spirit. I'm a very self-sufficient person. I think I can do just about anything, including fixing computers. And sometimes it just is not so. But let me share a couple of examples where I think the Holy Spirit has done some really significant things in my life and in this first example, the life of our family. We were living in Denver, Colorado at the time and we were traveling to Aberdeen, South Dakota for Christmas. It was a bitterly cold day. In fact, I don't, if any of you have driven the interstate um, on the east side of Colorado, they actually have big barricades and they shut down the interstate 
when the wind is whipping and the snow is blowing because it's just impassable. So we were traveling on that interstate and then we had to divert north to go through to get up to the Dakotas and drive over to Aberdeen. And while we were on the interstate, all of a sudden the car died. So I pull off to the side of the road and wondering what in the world should we do? It is freezing cold. We have little boys in the car. Do I take off walking? Do I sit and wait and hope we don't freeze to death? What do I do? Well, we had one of those old um, windshield visor things to block the sun that on the other side said, need help? So I put that in the rear window of the car and we waited and we prayed. Somebody actually stopped, pulled out a tow rope and towed us to the next exit to get us to a service station um, and informed us that we were really, really lucky because there had been some very um, bad situations where people had stopped, picked up a hitchhiker and been killed in precisely the area that we were at. So that was miracle number one, that we had a good Samaritan stop. We had the battery changed on the car and we took off and everything was fine. The sun's going down so it's getting colder and colder. We're now off the interstate. We're on the two-lane country roads where you see a farmhouse maybe every mile or two. And all of a sudden the, star, the car starts cutting out again. And it's like, oh no. If this happens now, we are in a world of hurt. We have no clue where we are, no clue where the, the nearest service station is. And so I said to Star, to the boys, we have to pray. And so literally, one at a time in the car, we went around and around the family, praying that God would keep this car going. And as we're praying, the car cuts out, and then it keeps going. The car cuts out, and then it keeps going. Finally, we come to this corner where we have to make a turn, and there is a two-pump service station and country store. And so I pull in, and I didn't want to turn the car off for fear that it wouldn't start. So I get out of the car, and the instant I got out of the car, I knew what the problem was. Now, you have to understand, I'm not a mechanical expert when it relates to cars, but I did take auto mechanics in school. And in fact, I partnered with a young man, um, and we went to a national troubleshooting contest, and we did well enough that he immediately got an offer for a job to go to auto mechanics training school for Chrysler. So I was reasonably good with cars. But the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, completely blocked from me what was going on with the car. But as soon as I stepped out of that car, after we'd had the opportunity to go through this intentional time of prayer with the boys, I knew precisely what it was that was the problem. I went into the corner store, came out with two bottles of heat, put the heat in the gas, and immediately the car was just great. There had been water in the gas line. I should have known that immediately. I mean, after living for, in Minnesota for 11 years, uh, that should have been a no-brainer. But the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, blocked that so that we had the opportunity as a family to go through that situation. The second one 
is the result of an opportunity that ZPC has given Star and I to go to Romania. Our last trip, I started reading a book 10 days before we left. That book was, and I'm drawing a blank on the name of the book. There were two books that I read, and it will come to me in a moment. The second one, I started reading five days before we left, and that book was Going Deep. Uh, the first book was Not a Fan by um, Eidelman, who is the, path, the teach, primary teaching pastor at Southeast Christian in Louisville. Um, Going Deep is written by Gordon MacDonald, who is someone that Star and I respect mightily. And as a result of reading those two books, beginning 10 days before we left and five days before we left, I rewrote 11 one-hour workshops that I was presenting first at the missionary conference in Romania to almost 100 people. And then from there, we went to the Bible college, and I was doing those same 11 workshops, teaching leadership uh, to a group of Bible college students. And one was that the Lord just grabbed hold of me and said, you have to do this. And so I wrestled with that. I mean, for the days before we left, while we were on the plane, um, I wrestled, but completed the task. And to wrap up this story, the most amazing thing was, in the context of the Bible college, we had one of the students declare that he had become a Christ follower. And I believe that that was purely and simply the work of the Holy Spirit. And maybe, maybe by some small miracle, something that I had done in terms of being obedient to the Holy Spirit in altering the material for those workshops, the Holy Spirit chose to use in that context. The question is, am I going to live my life trying to have people say it's better with me than it is without me? Or am I going to live my life in such a way that it is I answer to the Holy Spirit and say, fill me with your spirit. I want to live with you, not without you. That's the question the Holy Spirit asks each and every one of us. And I think it's something that he asks us each and every day. And we have to make a decision each and every day. Scripture says you need to, we need to choose this day who we will serve. You cannot serve God and anything else. You cannot serve God in man. You cannot serve God in money. You cannot serve God in yourself. You cannot serve God in others. If you're going to serve God, you must serve God and serve him only. My prayer is that as we leave today, that each of us will choose to go in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in whatever you do, and wherever you are, it will be with the goal of making disciples. There are three questions in your bulletin, and they're going to go up on the screen. And I hope you'll take the bulletins with you and that you will truly wrestle with these questions over the days ahead. The first question is, how will my life be different today, and in fact each day, to reflect more of God and less of me? Second question, how is God calling me to be more passionate and intentional 
in making disciples today? And the third question is, how do I truly want to answer the Holy Spirit's question with me or without me? Let's pray. You are awesome in this place, mighty God. And part of that awesomeness is something we do not understand. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. We believe that you are one, and yet we believe that you are also triune. And so when the passage in Acts 2 describes how you first came and indwelt your followers, we are amazed and we find it difficult to believe that the almighty God indwells us. Father, may we believe it is so. May our actions validate what we say we believe. And may we truly live in the power of your Holy Spirit who indwells us to will and to do according to your plan for us. It's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen.